and a very good morning. Welcome to the morning worship of the North Brevard Church of Christ. If you are joining us virtually, we welcome you as well. February the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Today is my daughter's birthday. Happy birthday, Leslie, our firstborn. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, glory be to you and honor and praise. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day and the privilege and opportunity to assemble as your children, to worship, to study, to hear a lesson from your word, to partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, we truly rejoice in this opportunity. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you have given us, for they are numerous. And we pray, Father, we never lose sight that all, the, all that we have comes from the bounty of your hand. And Father, we ask you to forgive us for our sins. We are sinful. We fall short. We need your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, we have those among this congregation who are sick and struggling and suffering and father we ask that you watch over them as only you can that you reach down and you touch them and that you encourage them and that you help them to recover and father if it be your will will to heal them father we want to pray for the leaders of this nation father we pray that they would act in a manner that is in accordance with your will. And Father, we ask you to watch over and, and bless this nation. Father, without this, your oversight, we are lost. Father, be with us while we worship this morning. Help us to do so with open minds and joyful hearts. Help us to sing praises and Father, help us to offer prayers. This we ask in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Our next song is in preparation of the observance of the Lord's Supper. Slowly, please. 
we are the reason that he gave his life. We are the reason that he suffered and died. To a world that was lost, he gave all he could give. To show us the reason to live. Also suffered for sins once for all time for the just and the unjust so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh but been made alive in the spirit often I, I choose a variety of verses to read but in the passages tend to be a little bit longer but there's a lot to unpack in this one when we look at this you can talk it, it shows right there that Christ suffered once for all time for all sins, those that we've committed in the past, those that we will commit in the future. Uh, time means a lot to us humans. It doesn't mean so much to the Lord. Um, when you're the creator, you get to kind of bypass some of the constraints that are placed on us. And then it also brings up that it was for the just and the unjust. So for those that love the Lord and those that don't. And then finally, that Christ was put to death to be made alive in the spirit. And that that's really what this remembrance is about is us looking at our lives with that in context so let us give thanks for the bread dear Heavenly Father we approach your throne of, of wonder grace majesty and power grateful for the willingness that you were able that you had to put your son on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins for him to bear a punishment so miserable and so extreme for carrying the weight for all the sins that have been or ever will be committed. Father, that, that expression of love and gratitude should, should give us heart, should give us strength, hope, and motivate us to be better Christians every day. Help us recognize where we fall short and help us to recognize it's not a scorecard. It's about grace, love, and reflecting that in this world of darkness so that some light can be cast on it so that others may see your glory through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us give thanks for the cup. Father, we again approach your throne of the amazing cleansing power of the blood that was built for us, the one that, that washes over us and is the perfect sacrifice for everything that has been done and will be done. And again, Father, we are just grateful that this sacrifice was, was able to be made on our behalf and the willingness that your son and you had put in, in motion eons ago because you knew that we would need it. Help it to just motivate us to do more for you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the many gifts you have given us in our lives. And may we give back a portion of those gifts to use the for the of your kingdom. In Christ's name.
Those attending our children's church could leave at this time. This will be our song before the lesson. If it's convenient, shall we stand? Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Shall be reading Exodus 14, 13 through 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you will only to be silent. All right, so we're starting a series on spiritual warfare, the only battle that really matters. Um, and I'm not going to lie, as I started preparing for this series, man, I have, a, I have a lot, a lot I'm excited to talk to you about in this series. And it shows because the, 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 the first lesson of the series turned into two. Um, so... We, I had a little bit of difficulty putting all of it into one, so I made it two, so it's, um, yeah, you're going to have to come back tonight if you want to hear both parts of the, of the battle belongs to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> and I did that for some of you because, you know, sometimes I like to just sit up here for hours and hours and hours, so I figure somebody's going to appreciate out there. Okay, so... The battle belongs to the Lord. There's so, much, there's so much to say. There's so much I want to say. But I want to start with Moses. I want to start with the nation of Israel. I want to start with enslavement. Okay? People who cannot defend themselves. People who cannot protect themselves. People who cannot free themselves. Okay? So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with Moses in Egypt. And as we know, 
The, the Egyptians are crying out. They've been in Egypt and enslaved for 400 years and they're waiting on that prophecy to be fulfilled where God was going to deliver them out of Egypt after 400 years. And they're crying out. And here comes Moses. And I don't want to skip over Moses. I don't want to skip over the fact that he's not exactly the leader that you would want leading your church. Be pretty difficult if I'd killed somebody, wouldn't it? Think I'd get the vote of the congregation if I'd killed somebody? Hey, you know what? He looks like a pretty good guy. I mean, what's the big deal? He's just a murderer? Right? When somebody does something bad, what do we say? It's not like he killed anybody. Right? This is the guy God chose. This is the leader of Israel. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't for um, good reasons or bad. Is there really a good reason to kill anybody? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but at the end of the day, what's, what happens? He sees an Egyptian beating his, his, his Israelite brother. And he loses it. That's what happens. He loses it and he kills him. And he knows in that moment, once the Pharaoh finds out I'm in trouble and he flees. Now, another interesting thing I want to show you real quick, um, without getting too deep into the scriptures, is when he flees, he's out in, he's out in nowhere land. And he comes across his wife and her family. Fun fact. Where's she from? Anybody know? What? Who said that? Of course, one of my elders. I only know that because I studied it recently. Good job, Chuck. She's from Midian. By the way, before we get done with this, series, this, this lesson this morning, Israel's going to go to war with Midian. But she's not with Midian. She, she's out away. She has, she has went off the grid, as they say these days. So here comes Moses and he's, he strolls in he strolls into Egypt and he tells the Egyptian Pharaoh that God has sent him and that God is telling him that you need to let his people go. And of course, we know that there's the back and forth. We know that there's the, the little competition between Moses and his staff and the uh, sorcerers of Egypt and, and, and their little tricks that they're doing. We know all that happens. They're already seeing the power of God. They're already seeing the signs of God working in front of them, but they don't care. They don't care. And so every time that Moses comes in and he says to the Pharaoh, hey, it's time to let my people go. Hey, let us go do this, um, th this ritual for the Lord, this, this holiday for the Lord. No, I'm not interested in any of that. It's not going to happen. So on comes the 10 plagues. And we know the 10 plagues. We've been hearing about the 10 plagues since we were little kids in VBS, right? Can you imagine being there, though? Could you imagine living through this? I mean, the Nile at this point in time is one of the most important bodies of water in all of the world. It turned to blood. It turned to blood. And listen, when I was younger, I used to get caught up in the scientific explanations that people would come up with for why this could have happened and why that could have happened. And, you know, they like to say that this was probably red tide. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it turned to blood. It wasn't water with red tide that looked red. It turned to blood. The Nile turned to blood. Can a fish swim and survive in blood? No, everything died. You imagine seeing that? Let's not forget, this is one of the most important bodies of water. Literally, people are worshiping this body of water. They have associated a God with this body of water. And you just go through the list. Can you imagine trying to eat and a frog is in your sandwich? 
Huh? You know, sometimes I go fishing, for example, and the bugs are so bad that you do your best not to open your mouth because you will eat bugs. Y'all know about that? You're running around even though it's almost dark and you're squinting because you don't want the bugs to fly in your eyeballs. These aren't plague times. These are just living in Florida. Welcome to Mosquito Lagoon, right? These are plagues. They can't get rid of the frogs. You ever seen after a fresh rain, like a real rain that we haven't had in a while? You can't, I mean, it's mass murder on the roads. You cannot drive down the road without hearing frogs. It's not a plague. So they go through all these plagues, and, and if you study the, the scriptures closely, you will find out that, that most of the plagues did not affect the areas that the Israelites were from and did not affect the Israelites, but there were some that affected everybody, okay? Until you get to that last plague. And this is the one that got everybody's attention because this is the one where people woke up and everybody had somebody in their house that had died that night. Okay, people die every night. I mean, that's a, the sad part of life. But not the firstborn son of every household. And here are the Israelites, and they're experiencing this day because they just did the Passover, and they got passed over. And everybody else around them is in mourning. And this is the moment where Egypt comes to the Pharaoh and says, you got to do something. And you know what? The Pharaoh finally listens. Why? Because his firstborn's dead too. What did Israel do? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this hard the entire time we go through this series. Please put this in your brain to ask yourself this question every Sunday as we go through this series. What did Israel do to deserve this? Have they done any fighting yet? Have they done anything to free themselves? Have they done anything to end their plight? Have they done anything? No. They've been in their room at night, crying in their bed about deliverance to the Lord. That's all they've done. So they experienced the ten plagues. Again, we know the story. We know Egypt throws a party for Israel as they're leaving and they give them a whole bunch of their wealth. And then as everybody leaves and the crowd gets quiet, the, the, the city gets quiet, the Pharaoh's standing around looking at everybody and going, hold on. We have to do the work now. Oh, and by the way, we um, kind of gave them a whole bunch of our valuables when they were walking out. So it doesn't take very long because man is man, right? Human is human. It doesn't take very long, even though you know the right thing, to be fickle and go back to the wrong thing every now and then, right? And then, so what does the Pharaoh do? He mounts up his army and he starts to charge after the Israelites, right? And they're at the Red Sea. And you can imagine, again, being an Israelite in this moment. Yes, you just saw the power of the Lord, but now you hear, you hear the chariots thunder, you hear the clashing of the seal, the, uh, of the shields and, and the spears and the, and the stuff as they are marching. You can literally hear their footsteps. There are so many. The Egyptian army is no joke. You're a bunch of slaves. You got a whole bunch of gold. You got a whole bunch of valuables. You know what they didn't give you when they were walking out? Their swords. And you're standing at the Red Sea and you hear the enemy approaching and you're thinking, well, that was fun, but it's over now. And Moses says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you 
You only have to be silent. Just watch. Just sit and watch what God is going to do. Yet again, what have the Israelites done to deserve it? Their leader's a murderer. So we know God separates the Red Sea and the Israelites walk across on dry land. And as the Egyptians go across, as at just the right time, when their entire army is between one shore and the other, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them, not one of them remained. Not one of them swam to the shore. Not one of them wasn't in the water when it had collapsed. Not one of them. There was zero left, okay? Zero. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters began being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashores. They knew it because they saw it. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. How long did that last? How long did that last? <laughs> Not very long, right? How long before... Israel is following Moses and they're saying to Moses, what are you doing to us? Why did we ever leave Egypt? What have they done to deserve it? Exodus 17, we're jumping forward a little bit. This is the battle against the Amalekites. Most people remember it because this is that moment where Moses is holding up his staff. You remember that? And every time he holds up his staff, he's looking, he's on a mountain, and he's, and he's looking, and he's seeing the battle play out in front of him. And every time he holds up his staff, he can literally see Israel moving forward and advancing and winning. And every time he gets weak and he starts to drop the staff, the Amalekites start to win. You think at, at any point in time he just went, maybe. It would have been something to see, wouldn't it? If you were Moses and you're holding up a stick and every time you hold it up, your team starts dominating and then every time your arms get tired and you let it down and you start getting dominant, you wouldn't play with that for a minute just to make sure you're really seeing what you thought you saw? You know what? He wasn't the only one that saw it. The people around him saw it and they started helping him hold his arms up. Verse 12, I'm going to skip that first part because I just told it to you anyway. Verse 12, but Moses' hands grew weary, so he took a stone and put it under him. He cheated. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands from uh, uh, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Who led that battle? We'll talk about him later, too. Deuteronomy 1. If you go and you look back at Deuteronomy, right, what you'll find out is, because this is that hard, one of the harder parts of the Bible where, just like in the Kings, 
it doesn't go pretty for you in the chronological order, right? Numbers and Deuteronomy are kind of not perfect. You can't read from Genesis to Deuteronomy and never have to go back and figure out where things went a little bit different in the history, okay? But Deuteronomy 1, if you go back and you look at it, this is the moment right before the Israelites decide we're not going into Canaan. So you have that moment before the Red Sea where Moses looks at the people and he says, quit worrying. You don't have to do a single thing. God's going to fight for you. God will deliver us this day. Quit worrying about it. Just be silent. Just watch what the Lord does. Now they've had other moments. And this is what he said. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. See, they've walked in to the land of Canaan and they've realized, <coughs> excuse me, they've realized that the promised land, this, this land that Moses has been leading them to, the Egyptians were scary. They had a big army. And they're enormous. It's a land of giants. Grasshoppers in their sights. And he says, what, you're worried about how big they are? Did you not, did you do anything to get here yourself? Now the truth is, yes, they did. When they fought against the Amalekites, they were down there fighting. But who was in control? Was it Moses? It was God. So, he tells them, this same thing. He's seen it. His faith has not changed. His faith in God has not wavered. He's seen how God has taken care of them. He's seen how God has went before them. And he's seen how God has fought for them and delivered them from places they could not deliver themselves. From things they could not free themselves from. He's seen the power of the Lord. And at, from the beginning of his life to the end of his life, he knows the power of the Lord. So, remember I told you, well, actually, Chuck told you, Moses' wife was a Midianite? Numbers 31. Moses is going to war with Midian. This isn't the only time Israel goes to war with Midian, by the way. Midians, like the Philistines, they come up a few different times. I'll give you another one that Midian uh, fights. And if you come back tonight, we'll talk about this one a little bit more. But Gideon fights Midian. Good way to remember that. All I want you to know from this is this. Look, first of all, you can go and you can look at Numbers 31. You can find out that Midian's not a small country. It's not a small tribe. It's not like a... Um, this isn't a family feud. This isn't the Hatfields and McCoys, okay? And if you go and you look at the treasure that Numbers 31 lists off, you'll realize that this is a very wealthy nation. And if you go and you jump ahead to where we'll be tonight in Judges, you will find out that when Gideon fights them, it's not a small army either. But what we find out in this, and the most important thing I want you to see in this, is that when they go to fight Midian, the orders come down from God. I want a thousand men, fighting men, able fighting men from each tribe. How many tribes are there? Twelve tribes. So how many men are we looking for? Twelve thousand. Okay? So you see the math right there on the page. You see it right there, right? That's what it says. At the end of the battle, they go back to see who came back. 
And in Numbers 31, verse 48, it says, And the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of the thousands and the commanders of the hundreds, came near to Moses and said to Moses, Your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command, and there is not a man missing from us. No one died. Not one person. Moses isn't the only person that talks about this. Look, Joshua, in his book, when he writes about his life, okay? This is Joshua's testimony of what happened when he conquered Canaan. And it says this, Joshua, uh, verse 1, starting verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you all, and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. That is the confidence that Joshua has. By the way, who was leading that uh, uh, war against the Amalekites? Joshua. He knew about Moses. He knew who was really in control. He's down there fighting and at some point has to realize, based on what Moses told him about what he experienced on the hill, it's really not about how good I can fight. It's really about whether God is with me or against me. That's what matters. That's why he starts his book this way. Everywhere. Yes, God told him it. And yes, it became true. Everywhere he stepped his foot, Joshua didn't lose battles. You know, some of the greatest generals in history lost battles. Israelite lost battles. We'll talk about that tonight, too. Joshua didn't lose battles. David knew it. Right? Y'all remember when Goliath's defying Israel and what he says? It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's a young man looking at a giant saying, I'm not afraid of you. You sit here and you trash God, and God's on my side. Good luck. You know what he says? He says, actually, God has delivered you into my hand, and I'm going to cut your head off. That's what he says. You know what? He didn't just say it as a boy. Y'all remember, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands, right? Y'all remember that? David was a warrior too, a man of great battle. In fact, there's whole chapters that are just written about David did this, and David did this, and defeated this, and made Israel rich, and David did this, and defeated this, and made Israel rich. What's David say? Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, right? Do we live in a world like that today? Is part of your confidence in the country you live in the military might that we have? Let me tell you something. I don't care how big an army is. I don't care how strong your military is. I don't care how strong anything about your civilization is. If God is not for it, you're in trouble. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. That's what David says. It's not about your chariots. It's not about your fighting men. It's not about how good you are at fighting. I've seen a lot of fights in my life. I've seen people get lucky. Or at least we call it luck. What about... Solomon, this is the wisest man that ever lived. When, he won some battles too. He expanded Israel. He prospered Israel in ways Israel had never seen before. What's he say? No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. I don't care if you're the smartest person that ever lived. Oh, by the way, that's the guy who wrote this. 
The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. What did Solomon do to bless Israel the way he did? What did Solomon do to have the life that he had? You know, Solomon's one of the most interesting people of the Bible because there's still debates on whether he's in heaven or hell for a lot of people. Because everything God told him to do, he didn't do. You know, if he would have just done one thing, if he had done one thing, the entire world would be so different, we wouldn't even recognize it. Right now in our present time. Did you know that? If he would have just followed God the way that David followed God, his throne would have been established forever on this earth, eternally until the last day on this earth. That's what God promised him. If you would just follow me like your father, I will establish your throne in Israel. Forever. Your bloodline. That would be something, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have all that trouble in the Middle East right now if Israel had never been pushed out to begin with. The world would have changed. So what's the point for today, for right now? I had to break it in half, so you have to come back to get the full points. Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, it's just a simple scripture we've read a hundred times. But do we really believe it? Do we really live in such a way that we live this out every single day? If God is for us, who can be against us? When the pressures of society are trying to change what we believe based on the word of God. Do we cave to them or do we speak out against them? If God is for us, who can be against us? When the numbers are larger on the other side of the argument than the numbers on your side of the argument, do you cower? Do you shrink? Do you not speak your mind? Or do you stand up for the Lord? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Look at what this is saying real carefully. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Okay? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who's going to do it? Who's going to be able to accomplish it? And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if you're in your best moment in life, like a Joshua running through the land of giants, just destroying, just doing what God said. Or if you're in a bad part of life. Or you didn't do anything to deserve it, but God's still out there fighting your battles. It doesn't matter if you're under tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. God is still in control. And God is still fighting for you, even in the times where you don't feel like he is and there's no reason he should be. So there's only three things I really want you to think about from this lesson. And like I said, please come back tonight if, if, if you liked it, because we're going to get into more of the battles and we're going to get into the much deeper part of this whole thing. But I had to split it in half, as you can tell, or we'd be here and everybody would be late to lunch. Look, God is in control no matter how crazy the world feels. No matter how crazy your individual world feels, no, how, no matter how crazy this entire globe feels, God is in control. Number two, every battle, every conflict, no matter how big 
or small belongs to the Lord. You know, he, uses, he used even Babylon to do his will. It's a hard part of the Bible that we have to face, but everything is under the control of the Lord. Nothing happens unless he allows it to happen. That doesn't mean he commands it to happen. That doesn't mean every bad thing that's ever happened in your life, the Lord wanted that to happen to you. That's not what it means, but he allowed it to, or it wouldn't have happened. And it belongs to the Lord. Let me tell you something. Some of the worst things that's ever happened to me and some of my worst choices in my life, God has used in my ministry to glorify himself. And humble me. And this is the last thing I want you to realize because I, I think we read... Romans 8. I think we've heard this so many times, I think we gloss over it. I think we, we don't get tired of hearing it. We're like, hey, I've heard that before. But I don't know if you ever slowed down and actually thought about what it's saying. You know what it's saying? It's saying that God loved you so much. And trust me, he loves his son as much. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you because that's the only way you could be reconciled to him. But you know what? That's the part we know. Here's the part we never say. This is what the rest of the scripture says. It says, so those of us who are in the Lord... Right? We're not winning for the Lord, but we're fighting with him as he controls the battle, right? For those of us who are in the Lord. Who's going to bring an accusation against you? Who can? You remember when, you remember when, and I, and I stay away from, um, I'm using this scripture too much, but you remember when the, 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 the woman who was caught in adultery came out before the crowd? You remember that? And Jesus is like, he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? Everybody goes away. It just destroys everybody's argument. It just makes everybody drop their stone and go away. From the worst to the best person in that crowd, everybody knew they had sin and they all left, right? You remember that? There's nobody left. What's Jesus say to the woman? Where'd your accuser go? Remember that? Where'd your accuser go? There's no one left. Only you, Jesus. And he says what? I don't accuse you. Right? I don't accuse you. Could he have? He's the only one without sin. That's what Romans 8 is saying about God. And you are the adulterous woman. He's saying once you belong to the Lord, God isn't going to proclaim judgment on you. He says, who is going to accuse you? God's not. Look what it says. It says, who is to condemn? Who's going to accuse you? Christ Jesus is the one to, that died. And more than that, who was raised? Go up a little bit further. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? If God justified you, why is he going to bring charge against you? Not only that, but if, if there is, if, if there is, which I believe that scripture says there isn't, but if there is a charge against you, who's defending you? Still to this day, who's fighting for you? Still to this day, who's interceding for you? Still to this day, the, the only person that can stand there without sin. Listen, 
I love Romans 8 because it tells me that the judge and the jury is rigged in my favor. It's rigged. God fulfilled the justice, the just requirement of the law by sending his son. So you did not have to face justice. The truth of the gospel is if we faced justice, we would all be condemned. That's how amazing God's love is. That's how amazing God's victory is. So the simple question is, have you accepted it? Have you accepted the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on your behalf, where he took on your sin, your shame, your guilt? Have you been baptized? Received the blood of Christ? Have your sins washed away? Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Become the temple of God? part of the kingdom. For those of us who have, are we walking around this world as if the battle belongs to the world? Are we walking around this world as if God is with us and God is fighting for us and God is going before us? Or when it gets tough, do we get silent? When the conversation gets difficult to say, do we just not say it? And do we make excuses for why sin is leading certain parts of our culture rather than God? See, I'm not talking about the culture in the United States. I'm talking about the culture in each one of our families. That's the culture that matters. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in the watery graves of baptism? And are you fighting for the Lord? Because let me tell you something. I don't care how far, how impossible the odds seem. The battle belongs to the Lord. If you have any need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing. Midian, not me. Oh, not Mickey. A um, couple of announcements uh, from uh, the bulletin. There's a lot of information in there, but uh, Bill, Mitzi, I understand, went to the ER last night. She's doing okay? Supposed to be released? Okay, so keep Mitzi in your prayers, or continue to keep Mitzi in your prayers. Um, continue to keep William in your prayers as well. He's still, he's having a hard time just plain seeing. Um, very difficult with his vision, so 
it's not a, a little problem, it's, it's a big problem. Um, hopefully they can do something to help him. Uh, Gene Eggie, though, is doing better, so that's, that's good news. Um, continue to keep those in the prayers that we have there uh, with, with the things that they're certainly struggling with. We, we know prayer works. We've had a lot of folks that we've kept in our prayers that, uh, that certainly have, are back with us now and, and worshiping with us. So keep them in your prayers. And a reminder, next Sunday morning, uh, soup and salad and dessert uh, right after services. So bring uh, the salad will be provided, the drinks will be provided, but uh, bring your favorite soup and uh, bring your favorite dessert. Look forward to that. Shall we stand for our closing song? this morning so thankful and grateful Lord you you're truly amazing Lord the blessings that you've given us are astounding you are the great creator Lord and your love is it's immeasurable Lord we're made in your sight Help us to live in your sight also. Help us to just show that love to, to the whole world, Lord. Even those that our initial instinct is to, to not want to love them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to assemble here today, to be in your presence and to be in the presence of our brothers and sisters, Lord to sing praises to you. It seems so simple to us to, to get in our car and, and just drive here and, and be here, Lord. There's no difficulty with transportation. There's no persecution from our country. Lord, that's not something that is readily available to so many people in this world. Lord, please help us to take Matt's lesson and apply it to our lives, Lord. Every day we fight battles. And we have to know that God is in control. Lord, please be with those that need us at this time. Those that are sick, those that are spiritually needing you. Lord, please be with Mitzi, and Sue Coleman's stepfather, and Gene Aggie. William Sands. Lord, we thank you for your son that, due to his ultimate sacrifice, has given us the opportunity to one day be with you in heaven. 
Lord, please go with us the rest of this week and help us to spread your word and show your love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.